Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. As we here in Australia are having our COVID restrictions eased even further, there's a place in the world right now where the push to get back to COVID zero is still happening and it's coming at quite a cost. China's cosmopolitan dynamo, empty and silent. It's an eerie sound. The collective screams of people locked up. Hosts have run short of food and daily necessities. And we don't know how long it will last. Today, we're looking into what's happening in Shanghai, speaking to someone who's managed to get out and get back home to Australia. More than 25 million people call the Chinese city of Shanghai home. Situated on the country's central coast, it's considered to be China's glittering global financial hub, responsible for more than 3% of China's total GDP and more than 10% of the country's total trade since 2018. Kate used to live there, working in education. We last spoke to her back in 2020 to find out what it was like back when the pandemic first hit. We never saw significant, well, I mean, significant in in the scheme of the world, I guess, uh, cases here in Shanghai itself. But as soon as there is word of cases increasing or even a small cluster, as there was in Beijing a few weeks ago, it's noticeable on the street almost immediately. Uh, Restaurants have been open, cafes are open, people are back at work, but it's certainly not back to normal. For the past two years, as the global pandemic caused chaos the world over, the city of Shanghai had prided itself on having a more targeted approach to COVID containment. Kate says it was a case-by-case, lockdown-by-lockdown approach. Really what we've seen in the last two and a half years is this system called closed-loop management. If a positive case is found, then closed contacts are tracked down. And the area where that positive case has been or resides is completely locked down and everybody in that area is tested. People that test positive are taken away to quarantine centres. People that are close contacts get removed to an isolation area. And then the the building or um, residential area is then opened up again and life continues on. The directive from Beijing, which, as of not that long ago, was the same as ours here in Australia, was that they would continue to push for COVID zero. But then Omicron came and changed it all. The variant swept through the city, infecting more than 400,000 residents since March. The government kept denying that they would lock down. But in late March, with more than 2,500 cases recorded each day, 
they suddenly changed their mind, announcing a phased lockdown firstly in the eastern and then the western districts. After realising the localised lockdowns of residential complexes wasn't working with the new, more transmissible variant, a full shutdown was put in place early April, when cases shot up to between 10 and 15,000 a day. The government initially painted it as a four-day temporary pause, but weeks later, residents are still locked inside their homes or relocated to quarantine facilities. Food supplies are running out, and the measures being used to stop the virus spreading are being touted as worse than the virus itself. A recording of a conversation between an 82-year-old Shanghai resident and the local residential committee was uploaded to WeChat before censors quickly took it down. In it, the 82-year-old asks for help, saying he's used up all his medicines and has nothing left to eat, that he was feeling awful after testing positive for the virus. The local residential committee party secretary told the man he'd already referred his case to his superiors and there was nothing more he could do. The man then asked if he was just expected to wait there until he died. The party secretary replied that he too was under pressure, that he was also worried and angry, but there was absolutely nothing he could do. This scenario is playing out for millions and millions of people in Shanghai right now. Kate has only just arrived back in Australia after going through a long and very stressful process of getting out of the country, spending $600 Australian just to get to the airport 45 minutes away, convincing a driver to be out on the streets when they shouldn't. It also took weeks of documentation checks, testing and rechecking to ensure she'd be able to leave on the one flight that day. Kate, did you see any of this coming? What we saw beginning earlier 2022 was a increase in cases. Quite often it's not reported to people living in Shanghai how many cases have been found and where they are. So what we saw was just an, an increase of reports, personal reports coming from friends and colleagues of their buildings being locked down. And this just began to increase and increase and increase to the point where sort of mid-March, we were talking about bringing overnight bags to the office because the chances of your office building being put into closed loop management were quite high. And is this where we're hearing that families are being split up? Yeah, so from when they started to lock down half the city, the volume of people that they were trying to remove from residential areas was in the tens of thousands a day. And at that time, they were removing children separately from parents. The statements from government are saying that now if you are a uh, negative parent, you can still go with your positive child. I have heard reports of people that have been in these quarantine centres saying that they did see children with parents. But that policy or the statement on that policy came out around the 7th of April. So there had already been lockdowns in place and people being removed to these centres for up to sort of two weeks primarily before that. So you can read, you know, a lot, a lot of living in, in China is sort of reading into what information you're getting access to and what you're not. We definitely saw the removal of children before that point. Well, then we saw a move 
early April to lock down the entire city. How does a city of more than 25 million people cope with everybody shut down? I mean, how do people get food? How do they look after people who need care? How did that work? So it didn't. The the government notice came out at about 8.30 at night on the Sunday night and people woke up in the morning to have been locked down. They were left with no food. Delivery drivers in those areas were also locked down. There was no way for them to access food, filtered water, medication, babies, nappies, formula. There were already quite a few people that had been in hard lockdown as part of this closed-loop management for a number of weeks. So some people went into this citywide lockdown having already had had their building locked down for 14 days, some even more. So by the time the city locks down, there's nothing. There's no fresh food available. There's no pantry staples. It was panic. It was very scary and it continues to be for a lot of people. Is there a sense that there might be a breaking point in Shanghai if this does continue on? I mean, how long can people stay locked down with very little access to anything? Do you feel like there might be a popping of a cork at some stage where all of this might spill over? It's really, really difficult to say, Claire, because people aren't getting information. Everybody's siloed, right? They're locked in their apartments. They're only seeing what's online. Unless you're in a very significantly sized compound and you can have, you know, volumes of people in one place, quite unlike anywhere else in the world when you're talking about 25 million in one city. So, Perhaps if you're, you know, we've seen footage of some of the compounds where multiple apartment buildings are communicating with each other, are sharing messages with each other and can see each other. They can see what is happening. So should there be unrest in one, they can visually see that without it being shared via WeChat or however else. Perhaps you can get then a collective voice happening, but I really struggled to see, given my time in China and my understanding of the culture and the obedience, I guess, I struggled to see an enormous groundswell like you would see possibly in a Western country, just because the information going to people is so restricted, so heavily restricted and so controlled. So why so late in the pandemic game? Is China still pushing hard for COVID zero when pretty much every other country in the world has decided to go with a vaccinated live with the COVID model? Associate Professor Graham Smith is a research fellow in the Coral Bell School of Asia Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University. His main research interests are Chinese state and non-state actors in the Pacific and Southeast Asia, the political economy of local government in rural China and the geopolitics of search engines. He's also co-host of the Little Red podcast. Professor, what political benefit does China have now in still committing to COVID zero? They've kind of painted themselves into a bit of a corner. So they, they've started using a bit of fuzzy language around it where they talk about dynamic zero. In spin terms, it's almost saying zero, but not quite zero. But they're still stuck with this idea because for two years, they've been making hay of the fact that the West has been struggling with COVID. People have been dying in great numbers, particularly in the United States. And huge amounts of the, the news bulletins have been filled up with footage of how bad things are in the US. Now, 
for them to then turn around and say, oh, well, I guess we can allow large numbers of deaths here because the new variant is just too hard to control. It's just too big a leap for an autocracy to make. Um, a democratic government can, you know, kind of flip-flop and people just go, oh, well, you know, that's what we expect. But if your legitimacy rests on zero as a number, then it's very hard to backtrack. So the problem is once the system is geared to respond in a certain way and the officials are facing only a downside to case numbers, then the whole incentive of this political system is such that you don't want COVID cases on your watch. So you do literally whatever it takes. Once this logic permeates the whole system, it's very hard to turn it around, especially if you're shutting down and deleting all dissenting voices in this debate. So it really would have to come from the top. It would have to come from Xi Jinping to have such a big shift in approach. Has Xi Jinping been backing authorities in Shanghai for the approach that they're currently taking to shutting down COVID spread? Look, yes and no. I mean, it's interesting to see what the official approach is because the reason the officials are so zealous is if they know they if they staff up, their heads are on the block. And there's a huge amount of kind of, oh, Beijing will short Shanghai out. You know, Beijing, the authorities will come in and kind of crack some heads and all these Officials in Shanghai have been too lax and have let it get out of hand. We'll see a few of them on the chopping block, and that's that's kind of already already happening. But, you know, that's just a narrative. It's just simply you look at a city like Shanghai, it's so densely populated. I mean, people are living in these tiny apartments cheek by jowl. How could this Omicron variant not spread an environment like that? Like literally, you, you, you're almost defying um, science because <laughs> it's so transmissible compared to previous variants that however extreme you go, you know, it relocating entire towns to the neighbouring province, covering the streets in lime, for goodness sake, to disinfect the empty town. I mean, this is ridiculously over-the-top stuff. If it's going to work, it's going to be a long grind of, of several more months now. What's the economic fallout of a city as huge and as influential as as Shanghai shutting down completely? This is huge. I mean, the economic and the social fallout is enormous. So the people who really are suffering economically in this are the migrant workers who are really the lifeblood of the city, the the people who deliver the food, the people who, you know, basically um, keep the city running. The unemployment rate amongst that cohort will, will be kind of through the roof and that will have ripple effects all throughout the rural hinterland as well as in the city itself. And to have a situation where I think we're about only 30% of people are allowed to go to work, a couple of factories have reopened like the Tesla factory with a lot of publicity, but basically most businesses are, are operating at some tiny fraction of their capacity and it, it's got to have a huge hit on the economic prosperity of China. What about extending out beyond China's borders? We're already experiencing some supply chain issues here in Australia and we hear that that is due in part to issues happening elsewhere. Can that be impacting us here in Australia too? Oh, look, absolutely. And, and that's partly why the Tesla reopening got, got so much fanfare because it had been, you know, literally killing Tesla because so much of their supply depends on the Shanghai factory turning out vehicles. But, you know, as I said, with 30% of people able to go to work, that's still huge, huge delays in the supply chain for, for all kinds of things. I've already experienced this <laughs> with some furniture and so forth. So it's something that will impact Australia definitely. Kate says she is very, very relieved to be back in Australia, but says it also comes with a lot of guilt, knowing the people she's left behind are still suffering. I feel really sad 
I feel really guilty personally. I've got very dear friends that are in Shanghai still and I know the circumstances that they're sort of living every day. It's personally sad to see an incredible city with incredible people living there go through such a trying, difficult time and to not know how it ends. It's really just heartbreaking. It's so hard to describe. But also there's nothing we can do. You know, a lot of people then feel like, you know, even when I was there, I had people contacting me who I haven't spoken to for a long time and going, oh, what can we do? How can we get these people food? How can we, you know, help the elderly, help the homeless? It's it's a completely closed environment. You know, if I can't find food for myself and I can't get water for myself in central Shanghai, no one in Australia is going to be able to help that situation. And that's what makes it really difficult to get attention, but also get people to understand it's a really unique environment. And unless you've kind of lived it, it's really hard to imagine. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. And if there's a new story you'd like us to look into for you in a little bit more depth, all you've got to do is reach out via email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au, and you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.